0: Remember when you used to make a record and, and somebody would buy it and you'd make actual money out of all that work that you did? <laughs> well, those days are well and truly gone. And uh, I'm definitely from that time, so I, I am now of the opinion that I can't be fucking arsed to make another record to give it away for free.
1: Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst
2: Welcome to uh, Curious Creatures Podcast. Um, we have two, we've got a crowded house tonight. Not the crowded house, but a crowd, ah. a house, a crowd in the house. I should start again, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got two special guests tonight. It's uh, unusual to have two, and we're very well, very pleased to welcome um, my Allmate mate uh, from The Wonder Stuff um, and more besides, Miles Hunt. Hello. And... Person who I haven't met before, but we all already have a lot in common. Mark GT, correct?
3: Yes, Mark Gemini Thwaite to the uniniti- uninitiated.
1: Oh, good. I know Mark very, very well because we're neighbors. I'm a surprisingly good mood. It, I say, uh,
2: Miles and Mark, it's like this podcast, we've been doing it for what, nearly two years now, right through, starting with lockdown. Yeah. And it's the only time I get the feeling of get ready to do something, you know, like kind of, okay. No matter how you feel, <laughs> like it, for me, it's just gone nine o'clock. But so it's kind of gig time anyway. Yeah. So wh- whatever you're doing, you've got to get ready. You've got to get into like your gig head on, you know. And it's amazing. It's been always the right. same. It's like old habits die hard. That's where I have found. How have you been coping with uh, with the lockdown and everything? It was. Uh, I was very lucky. Uh, this is
0: Milo speaking. Yeah, I was very lucky because I was planning to. Do something completely different with my 2020 because Mark and I toured the Wonder Stuff at the end of 2019. Um, we'd also spent the previous 18 months before that tour writing, demoing, and then finally recording the last Wonder Stuff album called Better Being Lucky. And I just felt after the tour, I think my tank might be empty and I should go and do something else for a while. So I was very much planning to get a HGV class one driving license and become a trucker. Um, And then the pandemic hit. Yeah, I had all the money saved up for the lessons. I knew the guy to talk to and uh, I really wanted to do it. I thought the uh, idea of me and my little dog being on the road in a in a great big uh big truck was very romantic anyway so along came the pandemic and my chance to uh, go <laughs> off to for lessons i mean i could have forced it but i didn't so um i got mark and i were obviously already in contact and then there was a few other friends a couple in england a couple more in the us just started firing off ideas of tunes to each other and i don't know how it it worked out for you guys but um i just became even though i was locked away in my little house in south shropshire in england i just became more sociable you know it was zoom calls every other night with friends all over the world how's it affecting (laughs) you and it was a very sociable time for me even though i never left the house and i got loads of music done
2: well, thank goodness that, you know, because right. otherwise you'd, you'd have been yeah. like on like CB radio to other truckers or truckers in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the band. How's your uphill climbing going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be a bus driver. Lol, we share many stories of like we're always up the front with a bus driver.
0: I didn't expect to uh, start the conversation talking about um, you two being wanting to be bus drivers what what i wanted to get out of the way or or to definitely mention while i'm talking to bodgie and lol is um okay i don't know if you know this when before i became singer guitarist in the wonder stuff i was a drummer in all the other bands that i'd been in i never knew that oh
1: uh, didn't you we, we have a saying here all dr- all drummers are friends right so we right. you know we we go by that motto you know we've everybody everybody just serious actually everybody that works on uh, on curious creatures is a drummer okay it's true in fact if you come and say that you play some other instrument we go well you play drums too right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah otherwise you, know, you don't get a job unless you play drums yeah but. i'll give it a go yeah. <laughs> well mark i
0: don't know that you ever actually sat behind a kit but your mark's a superb
2: drum programmer I'm a dumb programmer, yeah. yeah. You're that you're that you're the person we were all in fear of. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, oh, I've just realized something. I'm 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 the only person in this group of four people besides the two of the, of the two of I just realized I've played with both lol and Budgie, technically. Ah? Did you know that? Think about it. Uh, a budgie you may not remember, but I did Jules Holland, which was tricky, and you were playing with the Creatures yes. in 98. Um, and you know, uh, tr- Jules Holland, yeah. he gets us all to, j- to jam together. So technically, I've technically played with you, so to speak, in, in a big... <laughs> multi-band jam and i did a gig with lol five years ago where he was drumming yeah. which, which i imagine is a rarity right lol you don't, you don't get yes. on the drum kit very often so i've technically no. played with both of you which is pretty weird i just realized oh. it yeah great wow. yeah small world
0: well i wanted to say about um me being when, when i played the drums my three favorite drummers when i was a teenager yes. was you two and pete Defratus. Uh, from Echo and the Bunnymen. Even though my father, who was uh, a jazz drummer in his youth, he'd sat me down when I was like 10 or 11 with the Gene Krupa uh, drum tuition book um, and, you know, taught me the mama, dadda, mama, dadda, all that, or tried to teach me the mama, dadda. Um, and then, of course, I had an appreciation of uh, Paul Cook, Top Aheadon, uh, Dave Ruffy from The Rots. But then you guys came along in the sort of post punk. Um, And the first time I would be aware I was listening to Bodgie would be when you joined the Banshees, even though I knew the Slits record that I hadn't put the two things together at the time. And um, so it was Hanging Garden um, and Spellbound and Over the Wall by the Bonnie Man. Those were the three tracks that I was trying to master when I was about like 13 or 14. And I persevered with the drums till I was about 18. And I, I gave it up because a, it's too exhausting drumming in the styles yes. that I'd learned from you two and Defratus, rather than going yeah. with the uh, learning all the technicalities of Gene Krupa, and it, it was exhausting. And also, I, I wonder if you two ever felt like this because what Mark and I understand as being guitarists and, and a singer is if I blow it on stage by. Missing some lyrics, forgetting some lyrics, forgetting a chord progression. Nobody really cares. You know, you can can fluff your way through it. Uh, Bass player's not so good. If the bass player hits a bomb note, that's not good. But if a drummer just gets exhausted and fucking fails... You know, monumentally fails, which when I was in my last drumming days that I'd be on stage and I would just be thinking the whole way through each song. Please let me carry on being able to hold on to these songs and uh, the sticks and finish the song, which is the reason I stopped playing the drums. So I blame you for getting me into playing the drums and I also blame you because the styles I learned from you. That's why I got out as well. (laughs)
2: Uh, First of all, to get through the songs, I made my sticks longer um, by about two inches. To an the average length was about sixteen or fifteen to sixteen inches, and mine was seventeen to eighteen inches, which meant I had two inches more Mm. time before I lost the stick. (laughs) Ingenious. Very good. Well, I'm I'm remembering now. I, I'm I'm actually going to reminisce for a little moment, if I may, because um, okay. Miles, you and I met, Miles, you and I met in, in in January, I believe, 1992. We were on tour together, right? And and the thing is, I, I I had to find out, you know, when the album we were doing was out and what you were up to, and I came across yeah. this thing called Steve. And it's on Live Journal. And he's written a little blog of that night. He dug up his old diary. So if I may just quote from this chap. It's very funny. But, well, I think it is anyway. It it could get worse. Um, So, Wonder Stuff. I I said, Wonder Stuff? Stuff opened for Susie and the Banshees. The show did very well in in terms of timing. Wonder Stuff actually started their opener a minute or two before the scheduled 8pm starting time. The intermission was a reasonable 50 minutes. (laughs) Wonder Stuff was a nice surprise for me. Overall, they started off just sounding like well-performed generic college rock with muddy mixing that made it sound even less interesting. (laughs) (laughs) One plus was the presence of an electric violin, which had a pretty cool sound to it, and quite a skilled fiddler playing it. In between songs, a lead singer commented briefly, maybe one sentence, about the songs. He had a fairly strong English, I think, accent, but not one I was familiar with. He said, fuck, at least once in every sentence he spoke. (laughs) (laughs) the light shown stage present were decent uh, but not incredible Uh, so I was not initially impressed but after three or five boring songs they got going (laughs) oh god and their end-death career in America Uh, I'll go down to the end he says he introduced the next couple of songs (laughs) he said he ended the next introduced the next couple of songs as quote some pop bullshit (laughs) I'd call them (laughs) <laughs> don't get. I'd call them. Don't get me down. And space in my diary for you, since I don't know the real titles. Okay, I know which one is on of them. Uh, both were popish, but far enough off the mainstream that I wouldn't have called them bullshit pop. I would not mind seeing them again. So you
1: did okay. <laughs> wow. Hurrah! I was wondering aye, where aye. that was going for a moment It, 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 it sounded <laughs> like there was going to be Fisticuffs later on After that
2: one <laughs> uh, uh, We'll come to Susie and the Banshees later It's even better
0: <laughs> Oh is it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, give us p- part of his banshees review. Uh, Susie and the Banshees started around 9:25 p.m. They did a decent length show, finishing around 10:45 after two or three very short encore teaser breaks. <laughs> they had six people on stage with an interesting instrument set. The basic setup was Susie singing, a guitarist, the bassist, a keyboard, and two drummers. Two drummers? Do you remember Talvin Singh? Yeah, you had Talvin percussion. Yeah, so one on a regular drum set, um, and one on a more specialized drum set. Sometimes they substituted electric cello for the keyboard or second drum set. They had a few other alternative instruments. Blah blah. Mixing was was off on most of the songs voicing guitar were too low <laughs> mid range mid range drums too loud other instruments bass guitar keyboards miscellaneous high and low drums were mixed about right i think they performed well but on most of the songs the mixing mostly made it hard to tell susie looked pretty old <laughs> oh, jesus oh, christ oh. that should be i know that should be no surprise as long as they've been around some of the others look pretty old too <laughs> one guy in the front row had either gray hair or very blonde hair that looked gray because of the lighting the stage and lighting were set up fairly creatively they had some wavy streaks in the platforms under the drummers and the keyboardists which late in the show lit up in colors and behind them they had a large mural in an indian art style of a couple in a passionate state um, I think I might was like, I could stop there. Um, <laughs> wow, the final song was Memory Serves You Well. That one was right on, her voice worked right for her. It was nice that song, ringing in our ears as we left, was done
1: just right. Steve, where where was that review from? Which city? What do you, do you think you know him? <laughs> no, I, I'm just making a mental note that we shouldn't go on tour there. <laughs> 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 didn't say what he was.
3: This Steve Bloke has to be a budding sound engineer because there's so much focus on the mix and every review. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we were touring in England last last month, we were talking about that show Pistol, you know, the Sex Pistols thing. Right. And uh, it right. just reminded me about you know one of the episodes it shows... Susie performing a song. What did you see that? And what what are your opinions on how that was portrayed? You know, I haven't. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, oh, I have. I have. I can give my opinion. Okay. Actually, I really liked. it I really liked the whole thing. I thought he got, um, um you know, because I know Steve obviously, yeah. and yeah, you know, he lives out here as well, right? Yeah. But um, I was very happy for Steve because I was I was glad that he actually got his book made in. To something you know and i think that's very good i I liked it a lot i mean th- you know there were some things that were a bit hollywoodized i suppose yeah. but but in general i thought they they got the flavor of it i mean you know I, malcolm mclaren was spot on yeah that's exactly how i remember malcolm and uh the whole the whole thing yeah yeah i thought it was good i thought it, i thought it was very good but um yeah Didn't they put, like, some clips in from the old days as well?
3: Yeah, I think they interspersed some old footage, which made it feel more authentic, definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you're talking about the one with the Bill Grundy um, episode, right? Well, there
3: was actually an episode where they show Susie, you know, singing. I can't remember what the song was, but I'm guessing it was an early incarnation. And uh, I was was like, oh, that's cool. And it, and it made me think of you guys, you
1: know. Was was it with Sid playing drums? I can't, I think yeah, I can't, it, remember. Right? Yeah. can't remember. Yeah, because it's that. I bit think with, uh, that was Sid the Vicious idea cause it, stuff. Yeah, right. yeah it I'll was tell. at
0: the Hundred Club the, the, they uh, rebuilt, or maybe they even filmed it at the Hundred Club because it certainly right. had changed. Um, but yeah, I think that was the idea. It was yeah. when Sid was 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 drumming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the subject of um, um, of security, guys, we had. For a very brief period of time, we had a security guy called Nigel, who was a Welsh bare knuckle boxer. Um, and basically it was to pre- we, we, not to protect us from the audience, but to protect them from each other he was there to stop us beating each other up <laughs> it was like a final tour of 93 94 of that original lineup so but um mark did, did have you ever done a tour when there's been a security guy on the t- when you play with peter murphy's there security or um he,
3: he hasn't brought a security he hasn't brought a security person with with him, Peter Murphy, but um I know whenever I toured with Tricky in the nineties, you know, he always had these big burly He had Uncle Tony, who apparently was fucking well dodgy <laughs> from the, the the Bristol, you know, North West estates right. and you know, it just it it, it was yeah. it was quite interesting, you know, this and Tricky seemed obsessed with gangsta, yeah, British gangsters and stuff like that. So they'd constantly be right. talking about the stories about this, that, and the other, about <coughs> the old gangsters in the East End and stuff like that. So that that yeah. was my main exposure to security guys on a tour, you know. Right.
0: How about you, Lol, You got any security guy, guy stories?
1: I was thinking the last time I was on the, uh, on the road with the Cure for the Reflections tour, they have a very nice uh, security guy, a nice German fellow, Michael, and um, you know he, he's 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 like the gentle giant, but you know people don't they don't mistake what his presence is there for really. You know they, they don't look <laughs> at him and go, oh, you know. That, that must be, you know, the, the driver or something. No, they they know. Yeah, I I, I joined
2: the band. I, when I joined the Banshees, I, um, we, we the crew um, and security, ev- everything was shared with Motorhead. Um, so when Motorhead <laughs> were off the road, yeah. we went on the road because like the rig had to keep going. You know, the lights, the sound. Uh, it was all early days, so it cost wow. a lot to keep this stuff to pay for it all. So it had to be out all the time um and so when went in the gigs you see and and they that you had to get, like appease the crew and susie wasn't around but we had to learn acdc songs you know <laughs> and, and motorhead songs of course so we knew kill by death and we knew ace of spades and if nice. we could get like you know Bummer down as well and um nice you know, whatever what was it called the so just keep the crew happy and then what also happened was like he come <laughs> off stage and he had to dodge the, kni- dodge the knife which, which had the uh, amphetamine on it like a huge lump of it you know like yeah,
1: I've oh, one I mean. of
2: them have gone to do was an encore <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that brings brings to mind the old uh, the old motorhead story which is probably not true but you know um, they're all true are like, all true you know, they're all true Right. So, so you know, they're playing their show, Motorhead playing the show and uh, they come off stage and uh, Lemmy goes, I, I I thought Bomber was really good tonight. And uh, the other two look at each other and go, didn't play, <laughs> didn't play
2: Bomber tonight.
1: <laughs> I, w- I was going to ask Bodgy then, I'd, um,
0: if they were doing like Ace of Spades to appease the crew, did Steve Severin keep the flanger on? I'd like to uh, uh, heard the flanged version of Ace of
3: Spades. Yeah, the the goth bass version. <laughs> the,
1: the flanger was stuck <laughs>
2: yeah. in the on position. <laughs> Flange, reverb and phase. There was no difference.
1: Actually, you know, M- Motorhead were were very nice to us. We 1979. We played the Reading Festival and Motorhead were on it. Mm-hmm. And you know. The rest of them were throwing bottles of, um, bottles of us, you know, like the, the, the audience and, uh, motorhead was so nice. So uh, they came up in a big old army truck and Lemmy got out with this huge crate of something and walked into our, our little, you know, caravan that they had the backstage then and, and, uh, pulled out a bottle of vodka and said, here you go. Nice to see you lads. And, you know, he was like welcoming us to the, the whole thing. So it was, you know, it was very nice because we, we were sort of brand new, you know. Yeah,
0: I only ever had n- nice times with with uh, with Lemmy. I, I was with him in a club in London one night, and about three months prior to us meeting, um, a friend of ours, oh, yeah. let's call her Sarah, uh, a friend of his, let's call her Sarah. She was dating our bass player, who is also sadly departed now. And our bass player had set the room on fire in the Columbia oh Hotel, my. and she took some quite nasty burns on he, on her legs. And I remember this whole fiasco having happened. And um, yeah. so I was introduced to Lemmy at this nightclub, and he said, the wonder stuff. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, <laughs> I hear your bass player torched Sarah. <laughs> Ooh.
3: Ooh. It's <laughs> just the way you put it. <laughs>
1: So um, the next thing we can get on to is books, because you're the author of about three books, right?
0: I've done three. Um, I was diligent enough. I don't know why I was doing them um, at the time, but from about 86 right through to 94, I was keeping handwritten diaries um, about really the progress that the Wonder Stuff was making and um probably about nine years ago i thought i'm gonna start just typing these up and see if they're readable and thought it would make one book but there was so much of it that i thought was salvageable it ended up being three different volumes um and i wanted to it wasn't that i thought they were worth the story of the wonder stuff was worth reading in such a sort of close proximity from from the inside it was that i wanted to one day write a book i'm a charles Bukowski fan a a john Fante fan and so really it was an exercise for me to see if i could um discipline myself to sit down every day and write and it turns out i could and uh, they went over really well and um it was great our friend phil birch was a designer he uh he whipped me into shape getting all the pictures and ephemera and old tour passes and press things and they, they turned out really nice. so they're kind of coffee table books but there's 110 120 000 words in each one um but i'm such a miserable little prick throughout all three books i sort of use the handwritten diary part in italics and then i have to answer it back to try, you know, from a contemporary point of view, to excuse myself, at why I was so miserable, and it's still a mystery to me now why I didn't really allow myself to uh, to to enjoy the enjoy the ride. I, I um yeah, I think mostly I did have a good time to do those eight years, but um when I when I was left to my own devices to write
1: about it, all I did was moan. <laughs> well, you know. Uh- I'm in admiration of you because I, I know exactly how much it takes to write a hundred thousand or 120,000 words. There's a, a lot of Indeed effort and that's do, a yeah. lot of sitting down every day and just churning it out. And uh, I'm doing a, a second book right now and, uh, you know, it's, there's three or four or five hours a day just sit, sitting your butt down and, and writing. And it's, yeah, uh, it, it's as rewarding to me in lots of ways as music. It just takes a lot longer, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, when you were writing yours, I, I had, um, like I said, I was doing mine about like eight or nine years ago. What, what was happening to me was as I was writing about a certain period, I was there. I, I was right back in that period as I was writing about it. And, to the point where my girlfriend at the time that was living with me she 'd walk in the house at like six p m and I was surprised it was her. I was expecting it to be my ex wife and my head was so in what I was writing, so I wonder when you were writing yours did did you have any negative or positive moments like that where where you know you were really in the moment again
1: yeah no absolutely all 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 the time because uh the first book i I realized um, early on there's no way I could write my book at home because you know if you sit at home and you start writing you, you start thinking oh okay time for lunch uh, I, I better fix that thing better do this better do that you know you get uh, full of things to do. so I rented a little office and I would go there every day and and write but there was it was like one of those sort of um, you know combined workspaces. So there was a couple of other guys that worked in there They were like designers and things. And I'd be writing away and they'd come around the corner and they'd see me and tears would be streaming down my face. And they'd go, you're right, you're right. Is something wrong? And it'd be because what I was writing about had brought up the emotion so viscerally that, that's not even a word, is it? They brought up the the emotions so strongly that I just, thank you, I just reacted you know, straight away without it. I go, no, I'm fine. So my question to you is, did you find that once you had written those things, it was cathartic and it got out a lot of the, the bad things, you know, you, you're able to get rid of them? And lose them you know absolutely yeah well
0: sadly for us our original drummer and original bass player are both dead uh Rob died in 93 right. and our original drummer died in uh, 2006 and at the point where they both passed away I was in not in a good space with them our relationships were not good and I didn't think well of them uh when they died uh I, I didn't process it very well um it was kind of like well so what and uh and then when i went back and wrote those books i the last thing i expected was for me to come away from the experience of writing and go that was a cathartic experience but jesus it was because now what i have and it's lasted i don't think of those two guys uh of us being at war anymore i think of their younger selves the the, the kids that we were when we put the band together and that we had each other's backs and and we struggled through this thing and we fought you know like like dogs to 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 achieve what we wanted to achieve with the band so yeah it really really helped on that front so if i if i think of martin or rob now i think of them as being lovely young men that were my best mates
1: wow that's that's an absolutely great and uplifting story because it's it's the truth you know um I've changed my mind about a lot of things that went on from writing, you know. Some of them, uh, you know, I just needed to explain my life to myself, you know. People ask you, well, why did you write a book? What for? And I said, well, I needed to understand what had happened and and what I did, you know, because you know this, both of you know this, it's like you, you run so fast at the beginning to try and get things done that you've got no time to to analyze any of your past or look at any of the history and figure out what's going on and doing the book definitely helped me um Budgie will be pleased to hear that you used all your diaries because he's having a look through his diaries right now to write his book ah. yes yes i i just have to keep i have to keep them all locked
2: away you know that way too distracting from the actual story i'm trying to tell i suppose and and isn't it wonderful to to remember i remember young guys just cr- yeah, crazy yeah. and up for it you know then whatever was going on and we were pretty similar ourselves although we you know the banshees have been at it a little bit longer it, it but how it changes as it comes to an end um and i feel the same thing john McGeoch's death hit me many years later much later when i'd finally got my own head out of my right. self-occupied self occupied self and, and considered all of the stuff we never had time to think about because we were so blinkered into what we thought was the, yeah, the you know our yeah. primary purpose <laughs> <laughs> to, to boldly go where uh, no one had gone um we didn't have time to, to care about yeah. anybody falling by yeah. the wayside.
1: Which yeah. which is a really a, a sad, sad point, you know, because, like, I, I knew John and he was a lovely man and if, you know, we'd all had a little less, you know, a little more time, rather, not a little less time, if we'd had a little more time or a little more experience mm-hmm. of life, you know, we might have been able to help him out a bit. But, you know, that... That wasn't to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it's it, hindsight's a good thing,
2: isn't it? You know, it's an easy thing. As, as I came back to, um, uh, ch- to Kenny Morris's interview last night when he was with uh, in in Sid Vicious's mm-hmm. band, he said, Yeah, I said, Sid told me straight up, he said, I don't want to be alive after 22. Wow. I'm going for it. And wow. that was, yeah. I mean it, it, it's 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 you know it, you can you stop somebody in a, in a way and it's we can only do it ourselves I think you know yeah
1: yeah I think you're right the on. answer is no you can't you can't really I mean you know nobody could have stopped me I was on you know I was on a fast fast road to uh you know nowhere but then I got off you know at some point I, I got off the train and started to look and see what's going on and, and thank god I did you know So what's next for you guys? you just come off tour. So what's what's next?
0: Yeah, so we came off the Wonder Stuff tour, which was uh, UK in June. And it was one of those tours where the promoters talked you into doing an anniversary show of a particular album. So you play the whole album in full. Um, And then you have... 15-minute fag break in my case, and then you come back and do another hour and a half of, hopefully, favourites that the audience wanted. So the first four dates went nicely. And then Malk, who's the only other original member of the band, um, the guitarist on my left, um, he came down with COVID. So we had to bench him uh, for four shows. And uh, Mark Gemini Thwaite here... Very, very easily, very cleverly, uh, took because he's got his parts as well. Figured out all Mark's parts, uh, and we we managed to because the shows would been cancelled. God knows or postponed. God knows how many times because of COVID. So we were like, we can't, we can't cancel these shows. We can't postpone any more shows. So Mark stepped up like the hero he is and um, got through the whole set. I think we only had to drop two songs, didn't we, Mark?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember why, but yeah, yeah, managed to do most of it. But uh, it's uh, it, it was good when he it was good yeah. when Malcolm came back. But you you are amazing, man. Oh, thank you. So we had
0: the the last two shows we had Birmingham and London which are the the, the money gigs there was you know they had to be spot on because uh, those two shows pay for the entire tour basically wow and uh, he was back for those and and they were great and uh, yeah really enjoyed it and it it it, uh, it felt like a shame at the time but now my memory is of that was a lovely tour uh, but it, it felt horrible at the time having to benchmark but um yeah like so last year mark and i worked on what is my next solo album which will be out in i think october i'll, I'll release it We we want to wait till we've got the vinyl in our hands before we actually give it a release date we've got the cds we promise the vinyl right by uh by next month so uh and then i'll just go out and do handful of acoustic shows because i haven't really got well the band that plays on my solo album is the Wonder Stuff minus erica and uh and malk so it'd be like going out on another sort of stripped down Wonder Stuff tour but um i uh, i'm also looking at it as being my my last record really I, i've got to that point now where Remember when you used to make a record and, and somebody would buy it and you'd make actual money out of all that work that you did? <laughs> well, those days are well and truly gone. And uh, I'm definitely from that time, so I, I am now of the opinion that I can't be fucking arsed to make another record to give it away for free. So this will be my, my last one. Uh, Mark here and Erica, uh, at the Wonderstops violinist, uh, trying to twist my arm to make the tenth Wonder Stuff album, and I'm like, "Go ahead, if you, if you can come up with a bunch of instrumentals that I can
2: find vocal melodies and lyrics for, but I ain't sitting down and starting this party." <laughs> no, I, had, I was on. I was just uh, trying to about to ask the question, you know, the, the importance of you're just sitting down and, and making the album uh, making and, and saying the importance of the vinyl i'm sitting so like all my vinyl collection is where i am here and i've got a deck and i'm playing i've got two wire albums there i've got iggy pop's idiots mm-hmm. i've got some brilliant reggae chart busters from like you know just and i'm listening to all the production and i'm listening to the right. sequencing of the album again and i don't mind if it jumps because I played it too bad, you know. but yeah. it, so it's it's yeah. still big in your thinking when you start a new project, you know. Absolutely. How does it sit with you? You because Loll and I are sitting with a bunch of tracks and music, and our producers going, "Let's get it out there," and we're trying, <laughs> and we're trying to find the right way of putting it all together. It's very important to us. Um, I think.
3: I think the reason. Yeah. I think the reason we all we all play an instrument is is um obviously it's to play live is one thing but yeah we're all we're were probably always thinking from an early stage to write our own material that we play live you know and so when you take away the prospect of writing new material and your purpose is to go out and play live but you've got to play old songs i think that's why it seems weird to us because we associate the whole going out on the road and it with releasing a record whether it's a single or an ep or an album so it's kind of a peculiar thing for uh, certainly older artists like us to go out on tour and all we're doing is playing old stuff all the time you know you want to play some new stuff it makes you feel relevant and and the Mm -hmm. the act of songwriting is is part of why i even play a guitar is i like coming up with riffs and bits and bobs and you know that's all part of it And it's become such a peculiar time Mm -hmm. in music where you can't make any money from that anymore, it seems. It's really peculiar,
2: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I was just going to close up on the... um... Hold on a second. (laughs) All all kinds of phones going off everywhere. Mom.
3: Mom,
2: I can't talk right now. <laughs> I, no, it's Kate Bush on the line. Um, <laughs> Kate Bush.
3: Oh, bloody Kate Bush
2: again! <laughs> no, I had a, I I heard an interview with her today, and she was you know still so this thing Thirty-seven years after "Running Up That Hill" was released, uh, now it's the you know you're the oldest person to have a number one record, and it's the first big hit in America, apparently. And um she's just like lovely, just I thought, you know, we all scoffed at the time. Kate never went on the road, she just made albums. Just made albums.
0: And <laughs> yeah, great yeah.
2: albums she made. Although we couldn't see it at the time because we were in direct competition, you know. Yeah. Um and 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 it's just like, so Kate, what are you doing now? She says, Well, I love gardening, you know. Right. I thought she's got it made. <laughs> yeah gardening i read i read
3: somewhere that she's made like two and a half million dollars just yeah since running up that hill is blowing back up like and that's not set not setting foot out of her door and that's wow. including streaming income <laughs> and all that like evidently you can still make money for music that's crazy yeah.
1: wow yeah yeah and i mean you know who knows who knows what's the next track that's going to be on stranger things oh it was spellbound wasn't it it's on the end of it that's
0: right that's right right. yeah i did i saw Um, severin was writing about that on social media yeah budgie budgie's gonna be minted
3: all round of budgies (laughs) (laughs) drink drinks are on budgie
2: apparently not Oh, oh! Yeah. oh okay. <laughs> your str- your streams go up a little bit. Yeah. We'll have to wait till they press the vinyl edition, yeah. I suppose, of the soundtrack uh, to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been lovely chatting, lovely, lovely meeting you again, and yes, you know, having the conversation we never had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really not. It's just that's the best part about this. Definitely, yeah.
1: Look forward to seeing you both at some point on the on the road of happy destiny. That's right,
3: mate. Yes.
2: Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer,
1: Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wild, Digital marketing, Margie Taylor.
2: Art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at
1: www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures.
2: To find more of the best music podcasts, visit DoubleElvis.com or follow at DoubleElvis on Instagram
1: or at DoubleElvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.